We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts may be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Christine, would you uh, change the input so that uh, it's over on the, on the other bit, uh, under the screen? No. Uh, under the TV screen, there's three little buttons. Sorry, folks. Jerry's on his way. Yep, that's it. That's it. Thank you. Great. Okay, let's dive in. I wonder, have you ever seen a message in the sky? One time a few years ago when we were on holiday, every so often you would hear the hum of a light aeroplane. And when you looked up into the sky, the plane uh, was flying along with a message coming along behind it, a bit like that. Has anyone ever seen a message like that? Uh, I think it was in Portugal uh, that it was happening loads and loads, two or three or four or five every day. Uh, There were adverts for shops and bars and restaurants and theme parks and even banks appearing in the sky. Or maybe, maybe you've seen some sky writing. That's when a plane sends out some special smoke to form words visible from the ground. Words like this, marry me, or happy birthday, or something like that. I think it's very expensive. If you're planning to get engaged, it's very, very expensive. So think carefully before you do it. Messages in the sky. In our psalm today, Psalm 19, David tells us that there are messages in the sky, but you don't need a plane for them. In fact, you don't need anything else other than your eyes. You just have to look up. And what do we see when we look up? What is the message the sky is telling us? Here it is in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Whenever we look up the heavens, the skies, they are giving us a message. They are declaring and proclaiming something to us. They are telling us about the glory of God. They are showing 
that God made them and that he is glorious. And that's the case whether you look up in the daytime or in the nighttime. I wonder when was the last time you looked up at the skies? What did you see when you looked? Maybe you were checking if it was going to rain or if it was going to stop raining anytime soon. But was that all that you saw? Or did you see what they were trying to tell you? You see, daytime or nighttime, they are always telling us about God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And yet, we're so used to seeing at the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars that we don't really hear what they're saying. We don't really take in at just how amazing they are. The American uh, philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, once asked what we would do if the stars only came out once every thousand years. He said no one would sleep that night, of course. The world would become religious overnight. We would be ecstatic, delirious, made rapturous by the glory of God. And then someone else said, instead, the stars come out every night and we watch television instead. Their message is continuous, day after day, night after night. And their message is international. It says there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. No matter what language someone may speak, the heavens are speaking to them. No matter where someone may live, the skies are speaking to them. And they are saying, look at the glory of God. Look at what God has made. Look and see and know that there is a God. He made all of this. David then gives us one example of what God has made. He looks up and considers the sun. And I remember you were camping over the summer and you pitched your tent in the campsite. Uh, It was somewhere to sleep at night. And so David says at the end of verse 4 there, he says, In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Every morning the sun rises. It comes out of its tent, as it were. And the sun runs across the sky from the east to the west. Those pictures of the bridegroom and the champion are are pictures of glory and strength and joy. And the sun shines on everyone. Nothing is hidden from its heat. 
everyone benefits from the sun's heat. Granted, some days we benefit from it more than others. And everyone can see the skies. But are you hearing what they're telling you? Are you hearing at the declaration of God's glory, at the proclamation that God made it all? You see, God has revealed himself in the creation that he has made. Romans 1 tells us that God's eternal power and divine nature are on display so that people are without excuse. We can see that there is a God. And yet, we suppress the truth. We ignore God's glory or we explain it away as a process of random happenings. Just a chance that we're here at all. Natural revelation uh, being revealed in God's creation is enough to tell us that there is a God. But God has gone even further. He has also given us special revelation. He has spoken and revealed himself in his word in the Bible. And it's there that David goes next. And so in a series of six sentences, David delights in God's word. Look at verse seven with me. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. Now, maybe whenever you read that and you think, how does law revive the soul? Because when you think of law, you normally think, well, what do you think of? Judges and, uh, and solicitors and courtrooms and that kind of thing. But that word law, uh, the law of the Lord, refers to the teaching, to the Torah, to the, the first five books of the Bible. And in those books, we find who God is. How he has revealed himself to the people of Israel. And of course, in the rest of the Bible, God has revealed himself even more clearly in the Lord Jesus. And the other words that he uses there, statutes and precepts and commands and fear and ordinances, they all show us what God expects of us, what God demands of us. Do you see how the Bible is described? It is perfect and trustworthy, right, radiant, pure and sure and altogether righteous as well. You see, in the Bible, in God's word, we see the glory of God. We get to know who God is, what he is like. And as we do so, we find that our souls are revived, that we are made wise, that we receive joy-filled hearts and light-filled eyes. Here's a couple of uh, pictures. Here's the first. I don't know how much that gold would be worth, but it would be a big amount, wouldn't it? Yeah. Would anyone prefer that to the Bible that you have in your hands right now? Anyone? 
think how many Bibles you could buy with it. But actually, David says that God's word, verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Better to have the Bible than to have all that gold there. And more than that, it is sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Do we believe that? Do we believe that it is precious, that it is sweet? Or is it something that's, you know, just left on the shelf, hidden away in a cupboard? How do we think of God's word? You see, we don't just read the Bible to become Bible quiz geeks, to, to, to be able to know lots of information. Uh, whenever uh, Brian, my brother-in-law, and I used to go to BB camp, uh, there was always a Bible quiz on the Sunday night, and it was always fiercely contended. So it was all the Presbyterians thought they knew more about the Bible than the Church of Ireland people. Um, it was about 50-50 who won, but anyway... Much more important, though, than a Mid-Ulster Battalion BB quiz medal. The Bible reveals God himself. You see, the Bible speaks, telling us of God's glory, giving both warning by them as your servant warned, but also in keeping them there is great reward. The heavens, they tell of God's glory. The Bible tells of God's glory. And yet we find ourselves out of tune, out of step with the universe. In so many ways we fail to meet at what God requires of us. As Romans tells us, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the arrow that is fired but misses the mark. It falls short. David mentions errors and hidden faults and willful sins and great transgression. Things that either we don't mean to do as well as things that we set out to do. Things that God doesn't want us to do. And what are we to do about that? David calls out to God for forgiveness. He asks for mercy for his past, for the things that he has done wrong. And he asks for grace for his future to be able to change. He says, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. See, sometimes we're not even aware of what we've done wrong. But God will even forgive those things. Things that God knows about even if we don't. And he will also keep us. David says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So how is this possible? How can David be so sure that God will forgive him and change him and keep him? 
And how can we be sure of those things as well? It's because he knows who God is. In that last prayer, in the last verse, he knows that the Lord is two things, my rock and my redeemer. He knows that God is the rock solid one, the one you can depend on, the one that you can build your life on, the one who does not change. Why? Because he is also our redeemer. The one who rescues us from our sin. We are out of step with what God requires of us. But Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Perfectly in step with God's glory. Delighting in God's word. Keeping it to the very end. And receiving the reward that is promised. Jesus has paid the price to bring us back to him. He took our place by dying on the cross. Taking our record of wrongs and making it his own. And taking his record of righteousness and making it ours. When the Lord is our rock. And our Redeemer. We can repent, turn around, and find ourselves in tune with the universe. The heavens declare God's glory, the law of the Lord declares God's glory. And now we see that David desires God's glory. Having turned from sin, his desire is to please the Lord. See that. Last verse isn't just a nice wee prayer to pray before a sermon. It's a prayer for every moment of every day that we will live for the glory of God. That what we do, that would be what God wants us to do. Just as the heavens speak of God's glory, so our prayer is that the words of our mouths will also point to God's glory. And just as the law of the Lord performs heart surgery on us, reviving the soul and rejoicing the heart, so our prayer is that the meditation of our heart will tend to the glory of God and please him. You see, it's as we admit that often our words and our thoughts aren't in tune with God's glory, aren't pleasing to God, that we can be mindful of the need to change. And David asks for this as he sums up the whole psalm that God's glory will be our supreme purpose. I wonder will you make this your prayer today? This week? This month? Maybe every morning as you wake up. Pray this prayer for the day that lies ahead. You'll see it on the screen or you'll see it on the service sheet. So let's close as we pray this prayer together. May, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen.